0: Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We are an Elam Pentecostal church in the centre of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you are inspired and impacted by this message. Amen. Well, Great to see you here this morning, church, and you at home as well. We're in our sermon series called Steadfast, where we're looking at the book of James, and particularly about how we can endure through trials. With all that's happening this year, this is a great book for us to look at in terms of remaining steadfast in our faith, remaining steadfast in following Jesus, and remaining steadfast in hope. Last week, Dominic was exploring the question, how can I grow spiritually? Exploring some of the verses in James chapter one about how God can use our trials to help us to become more like Jesus. That as we persevere in the tough times, we grow spiritually. And today we're going to move on to James chapter two, and my sermon is entitled, How Can I Show Mercy? How can I show mercy? Now, we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and the verses will appear on the screen, but let me encourage you to have your Bible open and a notebook or maybe the uh, note app on your phone, but have something that you can take notes on as well as your Bible available. We're going to start from reading uh, James chapter 2, starting from verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the chapter begins with James addressing fellow believers using this phrase, our our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the letter of James, this is one of only two times that the name Jesus is mentioned. And the other time is uh, in James chapter 1, verse 1. But when James does use the name of Jesus, he does so with impact. He doesn't just address believers in Jesus, but believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful reminder it is of who we believe in. What a great reminder, isn't it, of who we follow. He is Lord of all We believe in Jesus, who is Lord over everything, Lord over everything that's happening, Lord over every area of our lives, glorious even when it's dark, even when the times are really difficult. James says that those of us who believe in our glorious Messiah must not show favoritism, Faith in the one who is so magnificent and favoritism towards a a particular type of person are at complete odds with one another. If we show favoritism towards people based on certain categorizations, then we contradict the very faith that we proclaim. Now, James goes on then to describe what he actually means by favoritism. He says if somebody comes into a church gathering and they're dressed well, they look like they might have a bit of money, and they're treated really well, and they're shown the best seat. But then if somebody comes in who is looking like they might have fallen on hard times, they're not dressed so good, and we treat them with a, a dishonor or a, or a disrespect, then James says then discrimination and judgment have taken place He's saying it's wrong for someone to receive better treatment based on what they have, based on their wealth, based on their power, based on their appearance. A person's wealth does not equal their worth. This preferential treatment here isn't based on any kind of genuine care. James says that those those who exhibit this kind of behavior become judges with evil thoughts. So it isn't about any kind of honor or care towards these rich people. It's about the church showing favoritism for what they can get prioritizing the wrong things. This categorization of people ascribing worth to someone based on outward things, do you know what? It happens around us all the time in the world. It happens all of the time around us. But what is absolutely heartbreaking in this passage, what James describes here is that it happened in the church. It happened in the church. And it's not just the early Christians that James is addressing here. How often does it happen amongst Christians today? How often do we see favoritism towards people based on age or gender or ethnicity or nationality or education or, of course, wealth? How different would the global church be if we'd taken heed of James's words over the centuries In Boston, in America, there's a a trail that you can walk around the city, which is called the Freedom Trail. And it takes you around historical sites around the city, particularly linked to American independence. Now, one of the sites on this trail is the oldest church in Boston, which is called Old North Church. Now, when I went on this trail and I went inside this church, I was particularly struck by the layout of the church because they have what are called box pews. Now, box pews are basically a couple of benches surrounded by four wooden walls, and the whole church was filled with these box pews. As you can imagine, the pulpit is quite high, so that people can still see the preacher from uh, in their box with the walls all around them. Now, I think the original reason for these box pews was um, insulation. So uh, if I'm right, then I think that it kind of helped stop the draft coming in when you were sat in the church service. But what they actually became was symbolic of somebody's wealth or status. And the reason why is because these box pews were rented. And the ones that were furthest at the front went for the highest price. And the further back that you went in the church, the cheaper these boxes were to rent. Now, Old North Church in Boston was not the only church around that time that would have been set out like that. Even without the kind of box pews, you could often go into a church and find that the richest people were sat at the front and the poorest were sat at the back. Now, thankfully, we don't have that kind of issue these days. In fact, pre-lockdown, I think our welcome team would have had a hard job persuading somebody to sit at the front, in fact. But it's representative of exactly what James is talking about, favoritism or preferential treatment given to the wealthy or the powerful. Now, what does this actually look like today what does this look like amongst Christians? Do Christians value most those who give the highest amounts to churches or to charities? And do Christians confuse what, uh, the difference between the highest amount and the most? So, for example, if a multimillionaire gives £10,000 to a cause and somebody who's on the basic state pension gives £100, who's given the most? I think Jesus would have an answer for that. Or does it look like the view amongst many Christians that it's more exciting when a famous celebrity comes to faith than when a single mom does? I'm sure that when I say that, many people would refute that that happens because we don't want to believe that that's the case. But how often do we see somebody getting really excited because a famous person has mentioned the name of Jesus once? Now, of course, we want all people to be saved, but are we more interested in that person's soul or in how many Instagram followers they've got. Now, I know that we can often justify this position of being very interested in a famous person coming to faith, the the powerful or the rich or the influential or the well-known coming to faith, because they'll be able to reach more people. More people know who they are. That's why some Christians claim that they're more concerned with somebody like that coming to faith. But remember, we follow Jesus. This is Jesus who was concerned with the lepers and the prostitutes. This is Jesus who was concerned with winning tax collectors. Jesus who didn't target the seemingly most influential or the most powerful or the ones with the highest status. Jesus who didn't find the most popular or the most intelligent or the most educated or the richest. He didn't target those people hoping that they would then influence all of those below them. Jesus actually started at the bottom of the social ladder. Jesus started right at the bottom. Activist Shane Claiborne said this. The kingdom of God doesn't trickle down, it bubbles up. As Christians, we're called to not discriminate amongst ourselves, to not judge by showing any kind of preference or preferential treatment towards the rich and the influential, focusing on what they can do for us. Let's continue to read in this passage, shall we, from verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Here James develops his argument against favoritism. He repeats his address of brothers and sisters again, emphasizing the family aspect of those who believe in Jesus. Because the fact is that as sisters and brothers, we're all equal in Jesus We're all daughters and sons of God. He's explaining here why this preferential treatment towards the rich is so problematic. He says that God has in fact chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to inherit the kingdom. God has a preference towards the poor. You will see this throughout the whole of scripture. God defends the downtrodden. He upholds the needy. He fights for the oppressed. James is telling his readers that the poor should be honored, not overlooked in favor of the rich. In the Gospels, Jesus spoke a lot about honoring those who are poor as opposed to favoring the rich. And so as Christians, we're meant to reflect Jesus, so we too must have a concern for the poor. But here James doesn't just focus on a concern for the poor. He also critiques the rich, asking his Christian readers, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you to court? Now, some translations might use the word oppress instead of exploit there. It's the same kind of language that the Old Testament prophets would have used when they talk against oppressing the poor and the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. James is using rhetoric here to demonstrate the absurdity of showing favoritism towards the wealthy and the powerful when it's those very people who are oppressing, who are using their power to exploit. This is showing the problem of putting our trust in wealth. He's saying, why treat poor people badly and rich people well when it's the rich people who are oppressing you? Now, the reference to the rich dragging you into court here in this um, passage adds to this you know, James doesn't elaborate on what people are being dragged into court for, but we can probably surmise that it might be to do with debt, given this whole passage is around economic justice. And in chapter five of James, James is really strong on the justice of fair wages and right treatment of workers He's particularly strong towards the rich who have oppressed the poor. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. This guy is not messing about. Just as the poor were being dragged into court in James's day, we still see a direct link between poverty and imprisonment in our own criminal justice system. Not only is there a high proportion of those who grew up in poverty who are in our prisons currently, But when it comes to fair representation, actually, the best money buys you the best lawyers. And in the UK, the cuts to legal aid over the last few years have been massive. Let me tell you, in all my visits to prisons, I've very rarely met bankers or company bosses. We live in a society where many people will complain about benefit claimants or refugees, but make no comment on giant corporations who are experts in tax avoidance. You know, I was reading an article the other day about food poverty, about the shockingly high number of people who are currently experiencing food poverty or are terrified that they're going to experience food poverty because they're living hand-to-mouth. Now, here at City Church, we partner with Cardiff Food Bank, and we run a food bank session on a, a Thursday morning. And it's absolutely essential that we do because there are people who are in emergency need of food. And I'm so proud that I know so many people in this church who regularly donate to food bank, who on their supermarket trips, they drop a bit of food into the box. But let me tell you, we agree with the Trussell Trust, who are the people who um, coordinate all of the food banks across the UK. We agree with them that handing out emergency food is ultimately not the answer. It's not the answer in the end, not in the long term. It alleviates the immediate need, but it doesn't solve the issue You know, there are some people who are not being paid a living wage by their employer. It's not talked about enough, this, but there's a proportion of people who are forced to claim benefits, even though they're in work, because they're not being paid a proper wage, because the company where they work puts puts profit over people. Oxfam released a report this week on some of the economic effects of the pandemic around the world. They estimate that 400 million jobs have been lost during the pandemic, 400 million jobs around the world, and yet... 32 of the world's most profitable companies are expected to make $109 billion more in 2020 than in previous years. $109 billion more just this year, in this pandemic year, than in previous years. We live in a world that shows favoritism to the rich and dishonors the poor. And here we read in this passage, in chapter 2 of James, this contrast between the honoring of the rich by Christians and the honoring of the poor by God. And the contrast is stark. And it shouldn't be the case for followers of Jesus, because we should be in line with God. Now, in practice, this means that we need to welcome the poor. We need to honor those who are poor in the eyes of the world. And we need to hold the rich accountable. It means that we need to ask questions of ourselves. We need to ask questions of ourselves. Who in our society is being oppressed and what are we doing about it? Who is it that I give honor to? Am I participating in economic injustice in any form? Let me continue with this passage from verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, here James refers to the law a number of times, starting by referring to what he calls the royal law found in Scripture, The royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself, according to James. And this is written in Leviticus 19.18. And of course, it's one of the two greatest commandments that Jesus cites that you can read about in Matthew 22. The law is to love God and to love others. So if we don't show love, then we haven't kept the law. Now, James goes on to say, he goes on to talk about the law that gives freedom. Now, this might sound like a contradictory statement, law and freedom being put together. But if the law is centered around love, then it's freeing because we're free to love others. We're free to be loved, to receive love. Too often we think about freedom as being being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. But actually, true freedom is being who you are, who you're meant to be. And we're meant to be loved and we're meant to love we're interconnected, you know. We, in order to fulfill the law of loving my neighbor, I need God and I need a neighbor. I need God's love in me and I need a connection. I need relationships with those around me. The law that gives freedom means we're free to fulfill the law without the chains of sin shackling us. We can live as we were meant to live. We don't wait to love until we feel like it. We love because it's who we're meant to be. It's how we're made, Galatians 5, 13 to 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now in this passage, this discussion of the law also demonstrates the seriousness that James considers this showing of favoritism is. This seriousness of showing favoritism towards the rich and the influential while dishonoring the poor. Verse 9 says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. This isn't something optional. It isn't a part of the law that we can just take or leave. And it's not even something that's not really a big deal. It's, It's painted here as something really serious. If we fail to do this, we've broken God's law. We've not loved the poor as we should do. But remember, this is the law that gives freedom. God promised to write his law on our hearts when we come into a relationship with him. So we're not just feeling about in the dark here, trying to figure it out. We're equipped by God to not show favoritism. We're empowered by God that instead of showing judgmentalism and preferential treatment to those who are wealthy and powerful, we can show mercy. In verse 13, James highlights the word mercy. If you want to understand what mercy is, mercy is compassionate treatment to those in need, whether forgiveness because of somebody's wrongdoing or comfort or kindness in somebody's distress. Mercy is active. It's practical. You don't feel mercy for someone. You show mercy to someone. Mercy is unmerited. It's the complete opposite of this favoritism that James has talked about. Mercy is given to those who can't give anything to you in return unlike favoritism, which is done based on what you can get. Here, James connects mercy, the mercy that we receive to the mercy that we give, just as Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Remember, we're believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is about becoming more and more like Jesus, and he showed mercy. He showed mercy. When we were lost in our sin, He showed us mercy. He wasn't repelled by us. He didn't turn away from us. He didn't distance himself from us. He came to earth. He died on the cross and took on the consequence of our sin. You and I get to live free. You and I get to be whole because of God's mercy. As Jesus hung on the cross, he looked at you and I with love as he showed us mercy. We show mercy because God showed us mercy. We love because God loves us. We'll be judged by how well we show mercy to others. But remember, God is not mean. He doesn't withhold mercy from us. So we're drawing on a a never-ending reservoir of his mercy when we're showing mercy to other people. Here at the end of verse 13, we reach the crescendo of what James is teaching about favoritism and honor and mercy. And he says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, love wins. Love wins. How do you show mercy? By not allowing outward appearance or status or wealth to influence how you treat somebody. By coming into line with God and honoring the poor. By fulfilling God's law and loving our neighbors. By remaining steadfast in the love of God. We can show mercy because we're free and because we've received mercy. We can show mercy because we're loved by God and God has shown us mercy. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.